This is Sam Edwards from Virginia with SurreyFarms.com, proud sponsors of the Heritage Radio Network. Good morning, everybody. Wow, we have come so far. The morning after is on episode 27. Reporting live on HeritageRadioNetwork.com at Roberta's Restaurant. We are proud to bring you today's show with guest David Gelb. He's a director of the amazing film that everyone should check out, Shiro Dreams of Sushi. And our main guest today, Daniel John, is the wine director for the Dynex Group, a veteran statesman for the wine world behind the event La Poulet and his exclusive selection distributed by Michael Skernick Wines. We had last week off for Easter. The studio was closed. Jack Inslee, our main man, yeah, was, sorry about that. was in Long Island. Jack, can I ask you one question? Yeah. What's Guga Muga Festival. We, I've been playing a tennis match. I just wanted to know what is what is Guga Muga all about. I know they're doing a food festival at Prospect Park. Yes, I'm kind of little. I'm a little bit excited about it, but I'm a little bit scared. Where do, where are we at as a station? Do we have any updates on that? Or it's going to be enormous. Apparently, they say like a hundred thousand people over two days at Prospect Park. They're the people who uh, started Bonnaroo. These two guys. So. Um, Pretty much all the the big food people will be there, and I believe we'll be there. Yeah, I think you'll be there. Yeah, I will be there. We will have a remote crew. Uh, if no one else of the hosts have requested the uh, portable recording station that we use for the New York restaurant show, I would like to put my dibs on that. Um, we can send our live people out there uh, to do some interviews, and plus we might have our good friends, the Franks, Frank Casafranavo. I don't know the other Frank's last name. I apologize, but our buddies at Prime Meats and uh, Frankie's Four Five Seven on the show lead up. Uh, other stuff that's going on. I had a great dinner um, on Friday at Meatball Shop. Uh, Michael Cherno and Daniel Holtzman. Uh, that's code for we got a free dinner. Um, of the restaurant industry. Now we went there on Friday. I texted Michael, and um, we went in there. It's a fun place. Like I said, it's a great place to go and have a, a quick date or a quick, you know, bite to eat before you might head out to whatever your particular thing is. And then whatever that particular thing is, after the fact, to hit there at three in the morning. The place is nonstop. They have two other locations. On uh, oh, this is interesting. April Bloomfield's book is out. A girl and her pig. Uh, for anyone who is caught up with buying any particular type of food cookbook, and there are many, um, there are many ghost writers out there to speak, but April Bloomfield, I, I'm pretty sure, and our buddy Ken Friedman, uh, this is from the heart, um, <clears throat> I would recommend picking that up, any food enthusiast, to buy uh, we, you know, we need to mobilize the morning after uh, remote squad to get to Prospect Park on Gugamuga, and as well as the James Beard Awards. Jesse Kiefer, I think. Jess, uh, you're in studio right now. I see you in the engineer booth. I don't know if you have access to a microphone, but we're going to do our Seacrest SE live from the red carpet at the uh, at the event. You're going to have to get your hair a little bit spikier, a little I, higher, but I think you'll make a great secret. Well, I, I am from Staten Island, so I can get Aquanet hairspray or any kind of other hair gel and, and be live from the red carpet. So I'm not worried about that. It's more about access. I have to rub shoulders with those Food Network people. Um, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. We have a ton of stuff 
going on in May. Uh, I also have to give a shout out again to the Prime Eats guys. They're doing a Titanic. To anyone who's fascinated with Titanic 3D or any of the James Cameron things that happened this week on the Discovery Channel, the Franks are doing the the last meal at the Titanic. Um, and speaking of the Titanic, one of our good friends here, uh, Rose, R- Rose Jonas, uh, uh, and Daniel Jonas, I'm, I'm looking across their in-studio today. We're going to get to their interview in the later part of the show. But first, I want to talk about uh, our interview with David Gelb. David Gelb is the director of a great documentary. Anyone who's a, a likes food, uh, particular documentaries, or likes anything sort of getting into the head of a somebody who has mastered an industry, I spoke with David Gelb on Monday, and here's our interview. You know, I just saw the film again yesterday um and i'm a veteran restaurant person i've been doing this for about 20 years and i really enjoyed the film i feel like restaurant industry documentaries are really tough to pull off um because there's so much to talk about and whether you're hitting the family element or just the business and the preparation i feel like you you kind of hit it all and i was really kind of interesting And you were inspired by the BBC series Planet Earth. Um, What, you know, and sort of approaching food and doing something about the restaurant industry, where did the whole idea of doing food and restaurants, you know, come from? Well, I think, you know, I I, I love food, I think, because of my parents. And, you know, my mom is a recipe chef. Um, She's a worked on recipes for some great cookbooks, including Seven Fires by Frances Mallman. And, uh, you know, she, she, she was always cooking. And my, when my parents used to, were, were together, they were cooking together. And so I used to have very fond memories of, of, of eating well. Uh, and then when they took me to Japan when I was a kid, they fed me cucumber rolls. That was kind of my, my staple. <laughs> you know, I've just been hooked on sushi, um, you know, really because of my parents. What was the you know, I you know I eat sushi so much, but I'm like any other jaded New Yorker. Um, you know, I assume sort of like Nobu was the gold standard or something. But there was an interesting uh, egg sushi dish that he made that came up a lot. Um, just sort of the preparation um, is was that is that considered a dessert? Is that a what a what part of the meal is that usually served? Well, the egg it's actually very interesting um, that you bring it up because egg sushi is is quite misunderstood um, in the West and. You know, a lot of people, when they go to sushi restaurants, they'll overlook the egg because they think, oh, I'm here for fish. Uh, <laughs> take eggs at home. But uh, what you'll discover in Jiro Dreams of Sushi is that the egg is the crowning achievement of any apprentice who works there. And you're not even allowed to try to make the egg until you've been at the restaurant for 10 years. Then, um, in the case of our film, The Apprentice Who Makes the Egg Now, he'd been there for 10 years. They let him try to make the egg. He had to make it 200 times before he got it right. <laughs> that, um, that's just kind of to show, you know, how important the egg is. And then once you get the egg right, then Jiro says, you know, you are, you are now a sushi chef. No. And, uh, the, way that they, the way they make the egg, it's like a, it's very light and airy, like a custard. And they serve it at the end of the meal like a dessert. And as any restaurant person knows, well, you know, a crowning achievement, sort of on the pastry side, I, you know, obviously it's not a, you know, a pastry dish, but uh, per se, um, you know, a, uh, you know, any sort of custard or, um, 
dish. You know, eggs is as simple as they are. They seem to be the hardest thing to 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 get right. But moving on, I also noticed uh, one other thing, and I didn't know if it was because uh, Yiro is so humble that you almost had to use Yamamoto-san as his you know, as his ego per se, even though he doesn't have one, just as his sort of exposition. Was that a conscious choice or, um, as I know Yamamoto-san was a big part of opening the doors, was he just, he just seemed so vibrant. Did that just come out in editing or was that a decision you made before? Um, It was a decision from the very beginning to make Yamamoto kind of a, um, a guide into the sushi world. And, you know, what he's, the way he takes the audience into sushi and into Jiro's world is, the same way that he brought me in when I went to Japan and I visited him and he took me to these sushi restaurants. He's sort of like, he's like a sushi poet, kind of. Um, the way that he describes sushi is so lyrical and, and beautiful. And, you know, really nobody loves food more than this guy. And so um, his perspective is particularly compelling. And, uh, you know, I, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted him to be a big part of the movie. And, you know, my editor, uh, Brandon, he was always, you know, Basically, we, we would set up almost every single scene with Yamamoto, um, and then we pulled him back out of the movie a little bit because uh, we realized we didn't need to set everything up so literally. But, you know, he has always been a guide for us, and, uh, you know, he's just perfect for setting up the story. No, he was he was great, and it, the, the tra- I don't know if the, you know, tra- translation, um, you know, is always a big part of... of, of, of films, you know, when they're subtitled, and, not, you know, I don't know, you know, if it, it was... You know, he's perfectly articulate or articulate, or it was, you know, it was extremely well translated as well. He, you know, it came through totally. Uh, and another thing um, that I, I loved, and it, it was so Japanese, was, uh, was I reading, you know, the subtext of the relationship of the brothers? Um, was there more to it that you just couldn't show because you were just sort of, you know, covering their father? Is there more to that? Um, or is it sort of the, the, the you know, the, the first son is going to take over the, um, you know, the kingdom, per, you know, per se? Um, well, I mean, certainly there, there, there's more to everything that we show because, yeah. you know, I shot maybe 200 hours and the film was only 82 minutes. So, um, you know, we kind of, uh, we, we show what kind of the most crucial, um, but we have 20, uh, 20 deleted scenes on the DVD, um, and some of them address uh, what you're talking about. And there certainly is, you know, they have a very deep relationship. Um, it's very interesting to have two brothers who used to work at the same restaurant. And uh, something we didn't really include in the film is sort of their rivalry. And yeah. they're over it now. Um, but when they were both working at the same restaurant, um, you know, Takashi, the younger son, he didn't feel like an inferior, even though he's younger. He doesn't want to be treated as an inferior. But yeah. in a restaurant, there can only be one head chef according to Jiro. So, you know, it was kind of a gift to Takashi, a, a gift to both of the brothers to open the second restaurant so Takashi can be, you know, the head of that restaurant and Yoshikazu can be the head of Jiro, when, you know, when Jiro finally um, is unable to continue to make sushi. So, uh, you know, Takashi actually described it as the perspective of being a mountain climber. And when you're climbing up the mountain from the beginning, you're, you know, you're kind of struggling to get those footholds and you're, you're not, you know, really trying to help other people because you're just trying to get yourself up there. But then once you're able to reach kind of the top of the mountain, you're able to kind of look around and start trying to help your friends and help the younger people get up. And so they're, they're kind of over, over their rivalry now and they, now they just want to help each other because they've gotten that high up. 
Um, for, for our listeners, uh, if they can't make it to the theater, which I highly recommend, uh, any New Yorkers, please check it out. It's playing at the IFC and, and a few other theaters. Um, is, is the DVD available yet, or is that uh, coming up in the next couple of months? Um, the DVD is going to come out over the summer. Okay. But, um, you know, we really, I, I really recommend that you see it in the, in the theater because uh, you know, we shot it with some fantastic um, cameras, and so the sushi is, you know, made to be seen on the big screen. And, uh, you know, we have some great sound mixing and music and, and, and everything. So it's, it really is a cinematic experience. And it's something to take, it's a, it, it's a movie to go see with someone you care about and then, you know, go have, you know, a good sushi meal or, or a good meal of any kind. It, it, you know, it, I, th- I think that that's why Magnolia Pictures chose to make it an exclusively theatrical event um, because, you know, it's just something you want to go out to go see, you know, dinner and a movie. It's like perfect. Well, that was the interview with our friend David Gelb, director of Euro Dreams of Sushi. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to my friend James Melios. It is the Greek Easter um, in Midtown Manhattan. This is The Morning After. I am Jason Colucci. The start button has been pushed already Obi-Wan Kenobi is waiting for me In Union Square, my wheel needs repair The bike lane's blowing all over the city My bike specializes in the nitty-gritty New York City never had equality It's reality, economic duality Where are my amenities? Tell me my sanity Ain't no analogy for individuality I got immunity for multiplicity That's how we do it, you got your harmony Where's your identity? Our name is stereotype in the name I got to get the shit straight You are vision of stupidities Made of vanity Keep your quality up in the sky There's a whole world way No control, it's in my way I feel no wrong, where's my song? I got no reset for this game There's a whole world The following program was sponsored by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons Summertime is not the only time when barbecue is welcome. At S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, Sam Edwards has been working his magic on ribs, briskets, pit-cooked pulled pork, and much, much more. Add a few of their sides and the party is complete. Entertaining has never been so easy. To order, go to virginiatraditions.com. No wonder her fingers are smooth like butter It's specific, no mind traffic Chibomato 1999 I'm Miho Hattori, straight out of purgatory I, I, alright, I'm passing on your right Hey, don't be snobby with me No, Ayoli, children of Moby Obi-Wan Kenobi told me in the lobby Technically, I'm free and I can find a key There's a wall on Broadway Oh, we're back. We're back. Wreck morning after. I am extremely excited about our next guest. It's been weeks in the making. We've been going back and forth, not in the sense of uh, just in scheduling. Scheduling is very tough these days when technology is so accessible. Um, Daniel Jonas is the wine director for Daniel Ballou's Dynex Group. 
including restaurants Danielle, DB Bistro, DBGB, Cafe Baloo, and Bar Baloo. He joined Chef Baloo after spending 20 years as the wine director for Montrachet. We all remember that place. And the Myriad Restaurant Group, he is also an author and in Porter and the organizer of the Burgundy Celebration La Poulet. Daniel received the highest honor awarded to wine professionals in the United States when the James Beard Foundation named him in 2006 Outstanding Wine and Spirits Professional of the Year. He was named the Wine and Spirits Professional of the Year uh, in 2000. He was honored as the nation's top sommelier by the James, Fe- James Beard Foundation in the May of 1995. And he is here to his left is his daughter, Rose, and I'm very excited to have him in studio. Daniel, thank you for coming, man. I know you're extremely busy. Oh, I love it out here. Thanks for asking me on. Um, uh, Rose, uh, can I ask you a quick question before I get to your dad? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you like the pizza at Roberta's? Yeah. And you had a margarita? Yeah. Okay, cool. And you had a little Coca-Cola. Um, <clears throat> no wine. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm fascinated with restaurant history as it applies to New York City as being a native New Yorker. Um, can you just get in, talk to me about opening like Montrachet as a young man, the experience of, uh, of as Drew Park calls it, eat downtown. Yeah. Uh, what was that all about? That, that, that's, that's fast. That was an amazing time. And uh, Those were great times. That was uh, 1985 when Montrachet opened in Tribeca, and Tribeca was not a very well-known neighborhood in New York. Uh, of course, today it's uh, very popular, very expensive, and very pretty developed. So at the time, nobody was going down there. The only restaurant down there at the time was the Odeon, which is still still there. Um, but, uh, you know, getting involved with that was kind of like going to the Wild West and, uh, and, and breaking uh, into a new frontier. So it was fascinating. So as a, as a sommelier, as a wine director of a, a place that's um, in the forefront of, of restaurants, how do, you, how do you create a list based on a, a new neighborhood? Do you just kind of go with the, the standards that you guys came from, sort of coming from the midtown of uh, what, aesthetic? You, you know, Drew's, Drew's vision was uh, to open a restaurant of fine dining, uh, but without pretension, uh, that was ca- casual, very welcoming, and... Um, you know, it was really a seat-of-the-pants operation. When we opened up, there were about 75 wines on the list that Drew had put together. Um, David Boulay was the chef at the time, and very shortly after opening, I think it was about three weeks after we opened, we were reviewed in the New York Times, given three stars, and it was like we just took off like a rocket. So Drew couldn't uh, handle everything, and he sure tried to, and he was pretty good at it, but from taking reservations and managing the front of the house and the back of the house and everything else, uh, I had already worked in French restaurants, I'd lived in France, I had uh, studied wine, but, um, you know, so I was very eager to get involved with the operation, and uh, he, I, I, I kind of wrestled the wine list out of his hands. And it just was a grassroots operation, we just grew and uh, slowly over time, I developed the list. And, you know, the name Morache, of course, we're going to focus on Burgundy. That was an area that I had visited and fell in love with. So it was a perfect fit for me. And uh, just slowly developed one of the, I, I believe, the greatest Burgundy list in, in the United States at the time. And it, Drew has that interesting story that he's working at La Grenier and he's a, he's a captain on the floor and he's you know, putting together all of his money with his partner at the time, and he puts down a bottle of Montrachet, and that was the name. It's like this, you know, this really well-scripted story, but it wasn't very well-scripted to kind of open down there. It was tough, didn't you? You know, you have to run out, and, and you have, you know, your, your sort of midtown crowd coming down, and you have to get them a cab and stuff. Well, it, can you can you just talk to me about a little bit about, it, like, outside of, of restaurant, you know, just sort of being down there and deliveries and all that stuff, was it, <laughs> you, you know? 
convincing wine distributors to come down we, we, there? Well, we had a lot of uh, late people showing up late for the reservation because they couldn't find the restaurant. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Couldn't get to the restaurant. It was very hard access given the, the, the configuration of the streets. But, um, well, you know, d- distribution was easy. It was just the uh, people coming downtown. They really made an effort. And uh, we were packed. We were packed for years. Um, as I said, I think it was a very avant-garde restaurant in the sense that we created um, a, a, an atmosphere that was conducive to comfort, casual, yet still a great deal of focus on the quality of the cuisine and the wine list. And, um, and that was groundbreaking for the time because you saw Danny Meyer open at that time with Union Square Cafe and other restaurants. And today, when you go into a restaurant, you don't see white tablecloths too often. So that was really a trendsetter at the time and one of the most important restaurants. When you look back over time in the history of dining in New York City, Montrachet should be noted as a very, very important restaurant. And it's interesting as a, as a restaurant historian, to it's, it, it reminds me of like going back to Sid Caesar and looking at that show and seeing all the people that came out of there, Mel Brooks or mm. uh, Carl Reiner or Sid Caesar and uh, Neil Simon. You kind of go back and you look and you see everyone where they are now at Montrachet, whether it's uh, David Boulay or yourself or Drew and where they're at. It's it's kind of fascinating. But I, I want to move on from there. I want to talk about La Poulet. Mm-hmm. Um, it is our sort of our Lollapalooza of, uh, <laughs> of uh, industry events. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I know what it is now, but I, I don't really know the history of how it came about. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, well... You know, as, as I said, Montrachet became a Burgundy-centric restaurant, and I had invited some of the famous winemakers in Burgundy to New York, and some, for some of them, it was their first visit to the country. Um, and the idea was for them to host a wine dinner, and we did a number of these over the years, starting in probably 86, 87. And um, so, whether it be Romani Conti or Comte Lafon, Le Fleuve, De Vogue, some of the biggest names in Burgundy would come into New York, and uh, we'd, we'd showcase their wines. And um, over time, I, was, I became very good friends with some of these winemakers. Dominique Lafont, for example, whose great-grandfather created this event called La Pole de Merceau. And what it is, a pole is just a harvest celebration. It's at the end of harvest. The family, the vineyard owners, the vineyard workers get together and celebrate the end of harvest together in the winery. Jules Lafont, Dominique's great-grandfather, invited his neighbors in the village of Merceau to do that. And it gradually became a village, a uh, town-wide celebration for the end of harvest, where today there are about 1,500 people who who attend it. And it's a a feast that goes on for six or seven hours. And so when Dominique invited me to this, I, I just broke down and said, this is the essence of this is what dining and, and enjoying wine is all about. It's about being at a table together with hundreds of people <laughs> and sharing and just spending an afternoon in a very conviv- convivial atmosphere with friends and family and guests and sharing bottles of wine and great food together. And um, I love the concept of this so much that I thought that maybe I could pull it off in the United States. Which you did. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't easy for the first several years uh, just getting this concept together of bringing bottles and sharing them with other people. But um, it did, and it grew, and we alternate between New York and San Francisco. Can I ask what's that all about? Why? Is it just sort of getting East Coast and West Coast involved because of Rubicon at the time? No. Or whatever, you know. What happened was, uh, Aubert de Villain, the uh, co-manager of uh, Roman Conti, Domaine de la Romani Conti, uh, gave me some very uh, wise words and said, uh, Daniel, this event is so special. I think that if you did it every year, it would lose some of the uh, anticipation, some of the excitement. 
So why not do it every other year? Like the Olympics. And so I said, well, I'll do it every other year in New York. But that odd year, I'll do it in another town. So we went to San Francisco. So now it alternates between the two. And are you happy where... I remember um, the, the year I worked, I I'm, I'm, was I'm still friends with uh, Assam uh, uh, Ryan Mills Knapp, who was part sure, of the, sure. the uh, Myriad Restaurant Group. And one of the coveted, coveted things, if you're Assam in New York City, is being on the team of like polishers <laughs> and Assams. Essentially, you're polishing all day, but there's one dinner... Um, that you're specifically talking about, that everyone goes and there's the the fifty ones or the fifty sevens or whatever whatever sort of huge mm-hmm. uh, uh, format bottles are being served at that dinner. Yeah. Um, that's well, that, what that's what you want. Essentially, what the the, the thing the, yeah. the event is about. That's the gala dinner, and uh, you know I'm over I'm overwhelmed by the generosity and the, the just the you know enthusiasm of the sommelier community. They all want to join in and help at this dinner, and it's to be together as a community of sommeliers, but it's also to be together at a, an event that's about sharing. And um, there's an outpouring of uh, support from across the country. I have 50 sommeliers who work the event, and I have a wait list of about 50, and it just breaks my heart to have to say no to so many people. But um, it's a fabulous team. It's the best in the country, and um, you know that's very important to me. It's it's about the great quality of food. Daniel Boulou has been the head chef since the inception in 2000. Um, and it's about great wine service. So with, even with that many people, hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, we have to keep the, the service tight. Well, I'd love to get Jesse Key for a producer of the morning after the top of that list on the sommeliers and next year's La Poulet. <laughs> but uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, let's take another break. I want to come back, and I want to just talk about uh, just other interests outside of the restaurant business with Daniel. Um, this is the morning after. Let's go into a break. Peace. We're back at the morning after. I'm sitting with Daniel Johnis, wine director of the Dynex Group, and one uh, important individual that didn't come up, well, came up a little bit, was Daniel Ballou. Uh, you know, I I'm friends with Ariane Decan from uh, D'Artagnan Foods, and um, I call the the French movement. Uh, I put Eric Repair. Uh, of course, Jean-Louis Paladin is being the forefather of the into the U.S. Um, uh, Daniel Ballou as sort of creating modern. Um, French food in, in America, um, Mr. Johnis. How how did you meet up with uh, Danielle and where your relationship is now? Well, you know, I'd come back from uh, living and working in France in 1983. I had done a year of internships in France in the 82, 83, uh, learning to cook, thinking I wanted to be a chef. Uh, a year of that convinced uh, really cured me of that. <laughs> uh, but I came back and. Uh, I was just looking around for a few, uh, for about a year, working in wine shops and really following my passion with wine. 
when I answered an ad in the New York Times looking for um, front of the house and back of the house at a new restaurant to open called Le Regence inside the soon to open Plaza Athene Hotel. So I went in for an interview, not sure whether I wanted to apply for the front or the back, but uh, I went in and I interviewed with Daniel Ballou. <laughs> this is crazy. And, uh, this is crazy. I this. said, uh, you know, I met him. That was 1984. And this is before, this is before he's working with the Marzioni family? Yeah, right? that yeah, was okay. before, yeah. Huh. He, was, uh, he was at the Polo, yeah. and then he went over to open this restaurant, Le Regence, and uh, that's where I met Drew also. Drew was hired as a captain. This is crazy. And I decided that I didn't want to get into the kitchen and peel carrots for the next five years. So I went for the front of the house where I knew I'd make a little money. And uh, it was a very elaborate, uh, you know, dining room. So I, I got a job there and met Danielle. And we really hit it off. We became friends. We had an interesting experience one night when uh, he was screaming at the waiters to pick up the food and get it out. And I just happened to be in the path when he said, hurry up, you're not moving fast enough. And he grabbed a lobster carcass and threw it at me. It went whizzing by my ear. And, you know, you have to respect the chef. But this time I picked up the carcass and just uh, with my best left-handed fastball threw it back at him. (laughs) And we've been friends ever since. And that's that's such a typical, like, relationship with a French chef. They, They love to see how far they can push you. And sort of like this, like sweethearted bully, where they kind of push you as far as they can when you fight back, and, and there's a hug in between. Yeah. But um, and then you guys revisited the relationship years so, later. Well, you know, just being in the restaurant community, you know everybody, and you you yeah. run into them occasionally, and uh, we stayed friends, stayed in touch, and then um, after 20 years at Morche. <laughs> You know, it was a great run. I loved Drew. I loved the restaurant. Um, yeah, I needed a new challenge. Um, I just turned 50 years old and said, you know, you now's amazing. the time. Look, now's the time to really uh, kind of kick it up a notch, you know. Um, and uh, Danielle created a position of wine director because up to then he only had head sommeliers in each restaurant. And so my position was a position that he created so I could supervise the, the entire team. And at the time, there were three restaurants in New York. Now we have seven. And uh, soon two in, in Canada, two in Florida, Beijing, London, and uh, Singapore. So it's a big group. We're really, you know, it's an absolutely fantastic team to work with. I, I, I think uh, any sort of hearted restaurant person like myself has so much respect for, for Daniel Balud and everything uh, that he has done and has meant to American food um, in the sense of like yes it's a French interpretation but how far he's pushed restaurants um, and how what a big heart he has but talk to me about I want to I want to go back into uh, Daniel John's selections which is mm-hmm. a, a a group effort you have with one of the biggest importers maybe in the U.S., uh, especially in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what is that, how did that happen? What's that so happen? in about 1988, 1989, when I was working at Morachet, I wanted to find a, a way to get back to France and spend some time in France. And uh, I thought that it might be a good idea to uh, make some selections for the wine list at Morachet, something that no sommeliers were doing in the United States at the time, uh, going directly to the vineyard, selecting wine, and through the, uh, the help of a friend who had an import license, really bring them in directly for the restaurant, distinguish the wine list that way by making it uh, have these unique, really country wines, some natural wines before there was such a thing before as natural it was, Before wine. it was cool to have that like off, right. the be- off the beaten path. Oh, yeah, there was nothing. No, no, no. I built that beaten path. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll get credit for it someday, but <laughs> I'm really not looking for credit. I, it was just like a way to get back to my passion, go back to France and do something just uh, develop my, uh, you know, my, let my energy loose a little bit. 
And uh, so gradually, those selections grew into a small portfolio of wines from regions of France that consumers hadn't heard of, such as Gaillac and Saint-Pourçain. And, uh, well, then there were some more mainstream wines like Macon and, you know, but little country wines, Cote d'Iron. And then um, over the time, the portfolio grew. And, you know, this is a tough business when you want to have a family. Yeah, and, and sitting to your left is, is, is your daughter. Is my daughter, Rose. Rose, how much do you see your dad during the week? A lot? Uh, yeah, every day. <laughs> I mean, but what did you guys... I'm, I don't want to get too far into it, but it, when you were younger, did, he wasn't around as much. Now you see him a little bit more? Yeah. And when uh, harvest happens in Burgundy, he's away. I mean, he goes to France a lot. Yeah. And stuff like that. You probably have one of the, the most refined palates for... How old are you? 11. 11 for an 11-year-old, and you guys live in Park Slope, and you were telling me about one of your favorite restaurants in the Slope. Yeah. Which, what is that? Uh, rice? Was it Rice? Was that the place? What was the place on the no, Thai it, place? It was spice. called um, Spice. Spice, Spice. I get, I'm dyslexic. I get my R's and S's mixed <laughs> up. Yeah, we uh, get out. We get out a little bit. But, but this, well, that's what happened. I, you know, having, having kids, and I've got two older sons and, and Rose, and I wanted to spend a little bit more time at home. So the, the import business really grew. And that was important. Uh, it was my own business. It's something that I really enjoy doing. And I partnered with Michael Skernick to help distribute the wines. I think Michael and his company is the best for distribution, focused on quality. Family-owned family family operation. Owned, customer service. And he really respects what I want to do and the kinds of wines I look for. So it's a great team. Well, Daniel, thank you for your time. Can you hang out till the end of the show, another 15 minutes? Sure. Okay. Well, Love uh, to. Do we have uh, James Melios on the line. Um, it is the Greek Easter. I want to know all about this. I want to see if we have our competing uh, or uh, if I have my own personal Jesus. Um, hey, what's up? You there, James? Yeah, I'm right here. Sorry, it was uh, I had to step out from the loud bazooki for a second. All right, talk to me about talk to me about uh, Amali Restaurant uh, located in Midtown. Um, Greek Easter today. You guys are roasting uh, an entire lamb in front of the restaurant. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on up there. Well, it's uh, you know it's a bit it's a bit of craziness here. You know, I I, I love my people, but uh, uh, they can be lots of fun and very demanding. But we we started out seven this morning roasting a lamb from Elysian Fields Farm. Uh, out on the spit, uh, it was ready around 12 o'clock, and we're serving a whole bunch of really cool, awful-driven traditional items for Easter. Uh, there's about 100 people in the restaurant, cracking eggs, throwing napkins, all sorts of fun for Easter. And you got some love from Eater.com this week. I saw on your speaking, you know, Daniel Jonas's studio, but we had uh, you got some wine love this week on Eater.com. Uh, our friend Amanda Clute, um, talk to me about that. Say that again, Jason. I'm sorry, you broke up for a second. You, you guys were on uh, on Eater this week. You got some Eater love. We were, yes, yeah, we were. Thank you. Yeah, that was very, it was a very, we were very appreciative and kind. Of, you know, the article focused uh, on our wine list. Uh, you know, the restaurant is a, you know, is a sustainable driven restaurant. But we decided that you know it's not just enough to do food that's sustainable um, and it's more than just the design in the restaurant sustainable it's also the wine list that we have and specifically about uh, close to 100 Greek wines uh, at least half of which are biodynamic uh, organic or natural 
um, some really knockout stuff that uh, we'd be able to fortunate enough to serve. Well, thank you, Mr. Marios. Amali, located, uh, is it, what is it, 40, what is the exact address? 49, 51st? Uh, 60th between Park and Lexington. 60th between Park and Lexington. Everyone, if they're if they're uh, you know uh, in Midtown today uh, doing some shopping, pop in there. Um, I want to thank him for calling in. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Laura Words at 86list.com. Jesse Kiever is going to pop in and talk about some of our friends nominated for a James Beard Award. That's the Oscars. We're back morning after. We're gonna go talk to our good friend Laura Wirtz, 86list.com with the hot job of the week. Laura Wirtz, 86list.com. Laura Wirtz, word up. Hello. Hi, Jason. How are you? How are you, Laura Wirtz? Go ahead. Very with the hot well, jo- thank you. Go ahead with the hot job of the week. Uh, this week's hot job comes from a place you may know. Um, Polino's Bar and Pizzeria on oh, the Bowery. located uh, conveniently um, on Bowery and Houston, right across from Whole Foods. That is right, um, which is where I'm sitting right now. Um, they, well, we are looking for a part-time pastry cook um, to help with Sunday brunch and AM production. Um, it's an entry-level position where you'll learn production and service skills, and um, you get to work with me. Laura Wirtz, um, yes, uh, I, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the job this week. I know uh, next week is the big day. That is right. Okay, uh, what, can I ask you on air, because I, I, I lost all Uh-oh. my contacts on my, what time, uh, when, I know you're not going to be calling in, but uh, the check-in, when do I check in, the, the ceremony, where do, what, what time does all the festivities start? Well, the ceremony starts at 4.30. Perfect. So I could do the morning after and shoot a cab at the ceremony. That's right. Just don't try to call me because I'll definitely I'll be. <laughs> I won't have a I won't have a job. We'll be we'll be on we'll be on a hiatus next week. Mazel tov to you. I will see you at your wedding, please. Um, next to the dance floor near the bar. Myself, That's right. Myself. Um, but Laura, um, I will talk to you in two weeks, and I will see you next week. All right. Take care. Thanks. Laura86list.com. I'm going to go right into Jesse Kiefer producer of the morning after uh jesse uh, uh two seconds uh we're, we're gonna um talk about blue hill some nominations with our friends over there uh you were away what's going on how would you go mexico yeah yeah and i i'm still very very white but believe no, it or not i'm nice actually color. three shades darker than i was before you have, some, you have some nice color but there's something we need to talk about well yeah i i think that um i'm not the best person to talk about blue hill i think that uh, my, girl, my girlfriend, Erin Sylvester, who's a uh, server there, I think she's the best to give her shout-outs for the uh, Blue Hill James Beard Awards. Okay, James Beard is coming up in May. Um, that is our Oscars for all of our listeners out there at the uh, Lincoln Center. They snubbed Heritage Radio. Always, we Sorry, always, we always know. So we're going to be at the red carpet. Erin, talk to me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're very excited to Blue Hill. We've got a great team. I want to give a shout out uh, to Claire Paparazzo, of course. Yes, our good friend. Yeah, friend of the morning after. She's, uh, not, she's nominated? She, well, we as a team, the, I would the, say. The, the program? The, well, no, it's really the whole restaurant. It's best Service? restaurant. No, it's best restaurant who, in America. Who, who are you guys going up against? Uh, Balthasar. Oh, bullshit. Highlands. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't, I didn't I'm come sorry. prepared. Sorry, I forgot Rose. the other ones. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. Yeah. No, Isa is actually up against Tertulia. Uh, for best new restaurant okay. in the country, which you will win that. Yeah, I mean, come on, Seamus Mullen. So Jess, we need to get in. We need to get in touch with the Tertulia people, our friends, so we can get invited to. Oh, the absolutely! Party. And Seamus has a new book coming out, uh, Hero Foods. So and I know we're going to get him back on too. Not, not to get, be confused with Hero J I R O. It's Hero H E R O. I think it's actually Jiro. No, it's we. For, no, for Jiro <laughs> dreams of Jiro yeah. Dreams. Oh yeah, no. It's, well, um, please, um, I, I checked the phonetic uh, spelling on Wikipedia. And <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, so we have the James Beard com- Award coming coming up. And uh, is, Dan, is Dan involved this year at all? I mean, he's oh, won, yeah, he's yeah. Won a well, times, yeah. So, so Dan Barber, of course, our chef. Amazing. Uh, Trevor Kunk, our chef de cuisine, who is amazing as well. Okay. Uh, and then the front of house staff, I'd like to give credit yeah. to Franco Serafin, uh, our general manager. I call him our glue. He's the one who really just keeps the whole ship together. Uh, and then Claire Paparazzo, our wine director, beverage director, and also Katie Bell, our service director. Awesome. I'm excited about it. Daniel, any um, any kind of plugs or anything you want to talk about? Do you have uh, your website or uh, some kind of Twitter we should follow? <laughs> well, you can follow... You can follow me at uh, Daniel Jonas. Daniel Jonas, yes, at Daniel Jonas. This is new to me. You know, I've only been doing tweet, tweeting for about a year and a half now. But you, so. but you've already, you've already said trends twenty five years ago. This is nothing to you. <laughs> yeah, You're, well, I'm not setting that trend. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's it's easy. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm so happy and proud that you came and joined us in the studio here at the morning after. I, I know you have a busy schedule. And thank you, Rose. Um, don't worry, you're going to get home soon. Um, <laughs> And uh, everyone here, our whole crew at the morning after, tune in next week. Uh, Jess, who do we got coming up? Uh, we have our, our Arthur Schwartz. Arthur Schwartz. We have uh, Laura Maniac from Cork Buzz uh, on next week. Okay. And then um, our buddy Nick Africano, he's got a, an album coming out. So, he'll, I mean, maybe he'll talk about Tertulia, but mostly he's going to come on and promote his album. That's going to be really awesome, his album release. Okay, and I am Jason Colucci. This is the morning after. I want to thank executive producer of Heritage Radio Network, Jack Inslee, our good friend. Patrick Martins, follow me at the T H E Jason Colucci J S O N C O L U C C I. In case you don't have any Italian friends, or our Facebook page, The Morning After. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.